Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. The Sixth Trumpet Judgment, the assembling of a massive army that comes from the east and marches toward where? Verse 16 says, they will gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Megeddon, the plain of Megiddo, what we call Armageddon. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. When most people watch the evening news these days, they're dismayed by the level of violence and corruption in our world. But to Christians, these frightening events should come as no surprise. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains that this modern-day chaos is setting the stage for a seven-year period of judgment known as the Tribulation. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. You've likely heard people talk about topics like the rapture, the tribulation, and the millennium. But few Christians really understand how those events fit into the greater timeline of the end times, let alone their relevance to life in 2023. Well, I've written a book called Perfect Ending, Why Your Eternal Future Matters Today. In language anyone can understand, I've described the key elements in God's timeline. And as the title suggests, my book answers the so what question. It's highly practical and explains how every choice you make can and should reflect the reality that Jesus is coming back. When you give a generous gift to Pathway to Victory, I'm prepared to send you a copy of my book with my sincere thanks for your support of this ministry. But that's not all. When you respond today, I'd also like to include my very popular book, more than 70 pages in length, called The End Times Illustrated. There's no telling how many thousands of these books we have sent out. And this book is designed to make the complex timeline of Bible prophecy simple for you to understand. Now, it's time to get started with today's study. So let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. Today, we'll discover what to expect once the rapture has taken place and the Great Tribulation has begun. It's a message titled, The Beginning of the End. We are living right now in that gap between the first 483 years and the final seven years when God will accomplish his purpose for mankind. It is a time that we often call the Great Tribulation. I said last time that this seven-year period of time is in many ways like a three-act drama. We looked at the beginning of Act 1 last time, the beginning of the Tribulation. Interestingly, the first three and a half years of the Tribulation will be relatively peaceful. People will celebrate the Antichrist and his ability to bring peace in the world. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 3, it says, While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like the birth pangs upon a woman, and they shall not escape. What will happen? The Bible says halfway through this first seven-year period of time, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, at the midpoint of the tribulation, is Act 
two of the tribulation. It occurs after the first three and a half years. It doesn't matter if it was Daniel or the apostle John or Jesus himself. All three testified of the fact that after the first three and a half years, there's going to be a major occurrence that is going to change the world forever. And that is Antichrist is going to break that peace covenant with Israel and turn against Israel and those who become Christians during that period of time. You see it in Daniel 9 verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, that is seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. That is, he'll stand in the temple and he will put a stop to Israel worshiping in the temple. And on the wing of the abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed to pour out on the one who makes desolate. Daniel 7, 21, Daniel says, I kept looking and that horn, that is Antichrist, was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. In Revelation 13, verse five, it says, and there was given to him, Antichrist, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and the authority to act for how long? 42 months, that is three and a half years. Over and over again, you see Something different about these final three and a half years. Sometimes it's called 42 months. Sometimes 1260 days. Sometimes a time, times, and half a time. A year plus two years plus half a year. But the Bible says these final three and a half years will be a time of persecution. And that leads to act three, earth's final hours. Jesus himself said the same thing about these last three and one half years. Remember his words in Matthew 24? Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What is Jesus talking about? The abomination of desolation, which Daniel, 500 years before Christ, had prophesied. When Daniel lived in the 6th century BC, Gabriel told him of a time that a newly rebuilt temple, the temple, uh, would be desecrated by a world leader. Now stay with me on this, because this may clear up some things for you. There's some people, we call them preterists, who believe all of the prophecies in the Bible, Matthew 24 and 25, even the book of Revelation, it's all already occurred in history. There's nothing future about it. It's all in the past. And so they look at Jesus' words here and say, well, Daniel's prophecy in 550 BC that the temple would be desecrated. Well, we know from history that happened in 168 BC when the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes offered a pig on the altar of the temple. He desecrated the temple, and that is true. But that was just the near fulfillment when you look at prophecies in the Bible, many times there is an immediate fulfillment and there is an ultimate fulfillment. Think about it like looking in the distance and seeing a mountain range and seeing two peaks of a mountain that seem so close together. And yet when you get closer, you see there's a large valley that separates the two peaks. It's the same way with biblical prophecy. Many of the prophecies in the Bible had an immediate fulfillment, but they also had an ultimate fulfillment. And when Jesus spoke about the abomination of desolation, he wasn't just talking about something that had already happened 400 years earlier in 168 BC. The future is in Jesus' mind. 
The people were asking Jesus, his disciples, Lord, what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? It was a forward look, not a backward look. And Jesus was saying Antiochus Epiphanes, who 167 years ago desecrated the temple, why he is just a forerunner of that great world leader that will one day stand in the rebuilt temple and desecrate it. And that leads to these final hours of earth's life. Look at Matthew 24, verse 21. And the great tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. Now these final three and a half years are summarized in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19. And these judgments against the earth come in the form of three judgments, three series of judgments. First of all, there are the seal judgments described in Revelation chapter 6. Now, I don't want to confuse anybody here, but when we get to these early judgments, it's hard to know which of the first ones have occurred in the first three and a half years and which occur in the final three and a half years. For example, in Revelation 6 verses 1 and 2, John sees the rise of the Antichrist. It begins with the rise of the Antichrist. Well, we know that's at the first part of the tribulation. In verses 3 and 4, we see war described. Verses 5 to 6, famine. In verses 7 to 8, death from the famine that will destroy one-fourth of the world's population. And then we see in verses 9 to 11, martyrdom of those who are converted after the rapture of the church. These are the tribulation saints we just talked about. In verses 12 to 17, tremendous cosmological disturbances which will occur. I believe it's evident when you get to these final judgments, the martyrdom, the tremendous cosmological disturbances, we are well into the final three and a half years. And that's true in the second series of judgment called the trumpet judgments. These judgments in many ways are like the plagues that God directed against Egypt in the days of Moses. The first four of these trumpet judgments are judgments against the natural world. Look at Revelation 8, 7, the first trumpet judgment. God will use a mixture of hail and fire to destroy one-third of the earth's vegetation. The second trumpet judgment is found in verses 8 and 9. John says he saw something like a great mountain burning with fire and falling into the sea. And he says in verse 9, a third of the creatures which were in the sea had life. They died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. What is he talking about here when he says something like a great mountain fell to earth? Could it be that he's talking about a giant asteroid? We know uh, asteroids are really chunks of rock that are flying through space. Some of them are a few feet in diameter. Some are a few miles in diameter as well. And we look at the surface of the moon. Uh, the moon, those craters, the scarring of the moon is called by asteroids that have hit the moon. Uh, we know in the past that uh, asteroids have struck our planet as well. Whatever the cause of this great mountain is, notice the result. One-third of the marine life and one-third of all the ships are destroyed, resulting in ecological and economic disaster. The third trumpet judgment is found in verses 10 to 11, a falling star that destroys one-third of the earth's fresh water. That's the third trumpet judgment. The fourth trumpet judgment involves a disruption of the rotation pattern of both the earth and the moon, causing these wild fluctuations in temperatures. You can only imagine what that will do to the food supply and the ecological system. The fifth trumpet judgment, look at this in verses 1 to 12 of Revelation 9, it describes Satan 
the star from heaven, as unleashing demonic tormentors to persecute mankind except those who have been sealed by God. These torturers are described as having the sting of a locust. And look at verse 6 of Revelation 9. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. And they will long to die, but death will flee from them. Imagine for just a moment the worst pain you have ever felt. I know exactly what it was for me, a kidney stone. Those of you who are in the fellowship of the stone, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And those are painful. They really are. But as painful as they are, ultimately, there's some relief that comes. Just imagine the worst pain you've ever felt, and no relief comes. That's what's going to happen during the tribulation. People are going to be stung with the sting of these demonic-inspired creatures, and they are going to writhe in pain for a period of five months, wishing, begging for death, but being unable to do so. The sixth trumpet judgment, the assembling of a massive army of 200 million people who are later described as coming from the east. Look at Revelation 9, verse 16. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200. I heard the number of them. And then when you turn over to chapter 16, verse 12, it says, And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up, that the way might be prepared for the kings of the east. There is going to be a 200 million massive army that comes from the east and marches toward where? Verse 16 says, they will gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Megeddon, the plain of Megiddo, what we call Armageddon. They are coming to wage the final war against the earth. Revelation 9 verse 18 says, A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. Now, people ask, well, in Revelation 9, you see these armies coming, and yet Armageddon, what we call the Battle of Armageddon, doesn't happen to Revelation chapter 19. I think the best way to understand this, and we're going to talk about this in depth next time, is it's not a single battle. It's really more like the war of Armageddon. It is a war that begins during the last three and a half years and continues with the climactic battle occurring at this plain of Megiddo. Now think about this. When you combine the number, you find in verse 18, a third of the mankind being killed by these three plagues, along with the fourth of mankind being killed during the seal judgment, you have one half of the world's population already killed by this time, which makes it clear why Jesus said in Matthew 24, 22, unless these days had been cut short, everyone would have perished. The third series of judgments occur very rapidly. Perhaps in just a matter of a few days, they are called the bowl judgments. In many ways, they mirror the trumpet judgments. The trumpet judgments are against only portions of the earth. The bowl judgments are against the entire earth. And the last judgment is the most severe. Look at Revelation 16, verses 17 to 19. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple and from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there has not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. 
And Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. What I want you to notice about this final judgment, according to verse 17, is it is poured out upon the air. And it's accompanied by flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and by a great earthquake. Notice the result. The destructions of the cities of the world, including Babylon. Now, where is Babylon? In the book of Revelation, it's portrayed as the seat of the Antichrist power. Now, some people believe that uh, John is actually referring to the actual city of Babylon in Iraq. It's a minor city. It's not much right now. Remember the late Saddam Hussein? Remember that guy? He had as his goal to rebuild the ancient city of Babylon and restore it to the splendor of King Nebuchadnezzar. Some people say it's the actual Babylon is going to be the city of Antichrist power. Other people believe that Babylon, the word, is a symbol for some future-to-be-determined city. Remember in 1 Peter 5.13, Peter uses Babylon as a code word for Rome. He talked about Babylon, talking about corrupt Rome. Uh, some people believe it could be another city that will be the seat of Antichrist power. It could be London. It could be Paris. It could be Washington, D.C. Who knows what form this final revived Roman Empire will take. But the Bible says that that city will ultimately be destroyed. These final events of these last three and a half years point toward the great climax, the conclusion of the seven and a half years, the battle of Armageddon that will precede the return of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be asking, well, why do we need to know all of this stuff? Well, first of all, if you're not yet a Christian, it's good to look at what is in store for unbelievers in the day to come. This is a powerful motivation, I believe, for people to trust in Christ so that they can escape not only the seven years of tribulation, but the eternal torment that comes for those who are separated from Christ. But even for those of us who are believers, I think there's some value in looking at this seven-year period of time that the Bible devotes so much attention to. Because in fact, this time of tribulation reveals two of God's most important attributes. Do you realize that in these seven years of tribulation, you see a display of both God's holiness that demands his judgment, but you also see a display of God's love. You find both together. You know, we live in a world in which people cannot reconcile a God who judges with a God who loves. To most people, that's nonsensical. God can't be a God of love if he's a God of judgment. But the Bible says God is actually both. When I uh, did an interview recently about the fact that Christ is the only way to be saved, and uh, people reacted so violently to that idea that there's one way to be saved and that those who reject Christ are destined to hell. I usually don't read blogs, but I picked up this comment from somebody's blog about my statement. He said, I believe in a God of love, not of judgment. If God is so intolerant and cruel that he would dispatch those who don't accept his son to a place of eternal torment, then I would just as soon be separated from him for eternity too. He'll get his wish. Is it impossible to be judgmental and loving at the same time? Any parent knows the answer to that. What do you say to your small children 
about electrical outlets. You say, now, if you put your finger near that outlet, I'm gonna spank you. Why do you do that? Are you being judgmental? You bet you are. But it's a judgmentalism that is born out of your love, your concern for the well-being of that child. You wanna save him from future harm. It's the same way with God. Is God a God of judgment? Yes, his holy nature demands that he not overlook sin, but that he judges sin. And this period of the great tribulation will be the time that all of the wrath of God that has been stored up, Paul said in Romans 2, all of it will be poured out on the earth. In Isaiah 26, verse 21, Isaiah said, for behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. In this final seven years of the tribulation, we see the holiness of God displayed through his judgment of sin. But listen to me, that's not all we see. I mean, if God's purpose was simply to punish unbelievers, he could annihilate them in an instant. But you see, God is not just a God of judgment, he's a God of love. If God only wanted to punish unbelievers, why did he go to the trouble of sealing 144,000 missionaries? and dispatching them throughout the earth. He did it to give man one last chance to be saved. God desires more than anything a relationship with fallen man. As he said through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather I desire that the wicked turn from his evil way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? What God desires for Israel in those final seven years, that they turn back to him, is what God desires for your life right now. He loves you. He doesn't hate you. More than anything, God desires to have a relationship with you. The great theologian Karl Barth wrote thousands of pages on church dogmatics and he came to the definition of God. You know how he described God? It wasn't in some flowery theological definition. He described God as, quote, the one who loves. That's a great definition of God. The one who loves. God loves you. He desires more than anything for a reconciliation with you. Think about this. If God simply hated you and he wanted to punish you for sin... He could destroy you right now with a single word or even a single thought. But the Bible tells us that God loves you and me so much that he will use whatever tools necessary. He'll send whatever tribulation necessary into our daily life, not to punish us, not because he hates us. He sends those tribulations in our life to drive us back into the arms of the one who loves you most. Aren't you glad to know that Christ has provided an escape from the coming tribulation? While the stage is set for the Antichrist to rule without opposition, those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior can rest in His saving grace. Well, I've been researching the end times for many, many years, and I've poured all those years of study into my book I mentioned earlier. It's called Perfect Ending. My book provides straightforward answers to common questions about the end times and heaven, and also explains how these biblical realities should impact every aspect of our life today. 
A copy of my book, Perfect Ending, can be yours when you give a generous gift to support Pathway to Victory. And as a bonus, when you respond today, I'll also include my book called The End Times Illustrated. Remember, this ministry wouldn't be on the air today were it not for those of you who give generous gifts. When you give, you're impacting listeners who hear Pathway to Victory all over the world. In fact, let me give you one example. This encouraging listener wrote, Pastor Jeffress, in this confusing time, you are helping me decipher truth from untruth. You're showing me how to help others discern the truth as well. In fact, I'm sharing your teaching with my husband and teenage boys. Thank you for standing firm in God's Word. Isn't that encouraging? Well, if you're one of our faithful supporters, you're the one who's making this possible. And right now, we're saying thanks for your special gift by providing a copy of my book, Perfect Ending, and my book, The End Times Illustrated. Here's David now with all the details. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, you're invited to request a copy of The End Times Illustrated. It's the perfect companion guide to Dr. Jeffress's best-selling book called Perfect Ending, which we'll also send you in this package of resources. To make your request, call 866-999-2965, or even easier, just go online and visit ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, in addition to the book and the companion booklet, we'll send you the complete, unedited, perfect-ending teaching series on CD and DVD. Again, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. If you'd like to write to us, jot down this mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. One more time, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. For 2,000 years, Christians have wondered, when will Jesus return? Discover what to expect during the second coming of Christ in a message called History's Most Important Event. That's Wednesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.